0: This is the Final Fix podcast. This is just real people having real conversations surrounding substance abuse and the way addiction impacts communities. We're three brothers who have experienced addiction through
1: a family member. We each have unique perspectives to the same situation, and as we have healed through discussing, we want
2: to share our experience and speak with others who have been affected by substance abuse. Our goal with this podcast is to spread awareness of the harm of substance abuse. To talk to real people about their experience and how they've healed and to learn more about the role that substance abuse plays in communities and families. We are not experts, just brothers who have had our own experiences around addiction and want to help others by facilitating conversations. Please be aware that some of these conversations may be difficult and
0: triggering. Any episodes that feature adult content will be labeled as explicit and may not be appropriate for children. Hello, hello. This is the Final Fix podcast. Uh, We are back again Uh, We're here with my friend Matt, who has uh, a wealth of knowledge from the law enforcement side and quite a diverse background, so I'll go ahead and
3: let you um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I'm Officer Matt Madden. I'm a police officer uh, here in the great state of Indiana, Uh, and I specialize mostly with mental health, mental illness calls, behavioral health, uh, and addiction. I'm also on a specialty team uh, for Hamilton County called COPE which is the community opiate prevention effort. So uh, me, a peer support specialist and a paramedic will respond to houses a couple days to a week after someone overdoses and figure out what happened, how did it happen, why did it happen, and figure out treatment plans and recovery plans. So an overdose doesn't happen again and we try to work to make sure they uh, work toward a sober life. Uh, So that takes a, a lot of time. And then I'm also trying to stand up A full-time behavioral health unit at my department that specializes in mental health and mental illness calls Uh, because statistically the group of people that get the most use of force against them used is the mentally ill population so I want to make sure that statistic lowers and if we come in contact with somebody in a mental health crisis we only see them one time and we find ways and resources to help them with whatever crisis they're going that's awesome That's awesome. I mean,
0: that's, that's so refreshing and I know you, so like it's, I know that you're a good person, but like there's this thought in people's head about law enforcement when it comes to some of the, like some issues with mental health and substance abuse Mm -hmm. and kind of like a dark humor, lack of compassion. And so it's having that focus Mm -hmm. in your career and using it is, is awesome. I didn't even know that something
3: like that existed. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, Indianapolis has something called the MCAT, which is the Mobile Crisis Assistance Team. Okay, and they're a proactive unit. Uh, it's a cop car, but the police officer's driving. But they have a licensed mental health clinician riding shotgun, and they have two teams. They have a proactive team where if a mental health call comes out, they respond, and then they have a, a post team to where. If someone gets taken to the hospital under immediate detention and something like that, the secondary team will follow up with them every couple weeks, every month, things like that to make sure they're not called on again, their medication's good, they're making their appointments, things like that. So I'm trying to take that concept and bring it to our smaller department because sure. I am Indianapolis is 1,700 officers. The department I'm at were 120. So. Okay trying to bring that to smaller scale, but the need is still there. To
1: piggyback off of that, where did it start for you, uh, the passion to help people with mental illness, substance abuse, and stuff like that? Uh, Was it an early age thing? Did you always want to do it? Is it one of the reasons you got into law enforcement? Uh, But where did that start for you?
3: Noticing addiction started in high school. There's a lot of kids getting into wrong ways, getting in with the wrong people, and some of them were Teammates of mine that I saw going down wrong paths that I wanted to help, but my idea of helping them was just not allowing them to come to my house. It's like, well, you can't come over, bro, because you're doing drugs. But that's like the most of it, right? But then once I got through college, it was I think two years after I left my first college, um, so I went to a small military college in Philly. And went through an early commission program and had to go to a follow on university. And I went to Ball State my first year at Ball State um, that fall. I got word that one of the guys I commissioned with and who was like one of my best friends uh, overdosed and committed suicide. So uh, second lieutenant Robert Delmonico. So one of my best friends um, got him tattooed on my arm. So it was like the first like real exposure I had to one, how bad addiction can get and where it can lead. So that was 2014. And then where I really started developing, like, I want to do something about this was I had a, I call my little brother. So it seems AJ Halstead came from a pretty good home, but just wasn't treated the best, right? He had other brothers that got the attention He was kind of like the black sheep, right? He acted out in school, got sent to a military school and stuff. But our family kind of brought him, like took him in. And he was my little brother. And uh, he suffered pretty bad from alcohol addiction. It was kind of like a self-medication type deal. And he ended up taking his own life. And that was a hard hit to me. Um, So I lost like my best military friend that I commissioned with, that I went through a military college with. Um, then I lost my little brother um, to the same thing. And then not long after, uh, my best friend who I grew up wrestling with, uh, Jason Cipher, uh, committed suicide. And he was just struggling. He was a perfectionist. Like everything he had to do had to be just perfect, everything. So when life really wasn't going the way he wanted, he was just done. Um, so I was like, okay, I don't want anybody else to feel what I've gone through. I don't want anybody else to have to experience what I've experienced, this grief, this loss, this pain. So when I got to the Indianapolis police department, I heard about this behavioral health unit and the MCAT. And I'm like, I'm getting on this team. Like, especially like I'm serving at the national guard in the same aspect. And I'm seeing the same type of trends in the guard. Alcoholism as self-medication is huge in the military it's i'll be okay i'll just drink it away um, right. like we were going to jrtc and the morning we were leaving a soldier showed up just hammered like it was seven o'clock in the morning and he's still drunk from the night before and i to guess be he's, fair, he's, he's going to louisiana so like he got it True, it's <laughs> rough that's rough yeah. but come to find out he was like having problems with his spouse so he just thought i'm just gonna drink it away like i'm just gonna drown the pain with alcohol me, like NCO, see him as, oh, you're just a drunk piece of crap. Let's smoke crap out of him. I'm like, there's something going on that's causing this. So worked through that. But then like I'm seeing soldiers drinking as a medication and find like, and it's like painful to watch, painful to see. I had a former commander that like my former company commander was going through stuff like that. So like being in the police, being in the military, seeing this left and right, I'm like, something needs to be done like I like there's something that we can do so I really started driving my passion toward this but I really wasn't able to really do a lot until I got to my department I'm at now um, where our chief like understood my passion he's like this is yours now build a build a team build a unit here's the city mental health action team here's cope here's all this stuff do it all so yeah. I'm like cool let's do it all um, so, So far, um, I've, like I said, I'm on our city's mental health action team. So we're building resources and things to help the citizens with any sort of mental health, any type of behavioral health or addiction, we're building a resource for that, which we have a site, a website now that you go on, you take an assessment and it has personalized results for what you need, whether it be therapists. Whether it be therapy, um, books, articles, everything is there for what you are going through. So, oh, really
0: quick to interject: Can people yeah. use
3: that anywhere, or is that specific to like Indiana, Indianapolis? Oh, area? anybody can log in. Yeah. yeah, we got business cards. We like I've like I make sure every officer on my department has business cards, has stickers with a QR code, everything. Like I have the QR code on the back of my phone, so whenever I am on a run and someone's going through a mental health crisis. Um, they don't fit the criteria for us to take them to the hospital because there's certain criteria we have to meet in order to just say, I'm taking you. Um, they got to be mentally ill, number one, a threat to themselves or others, and gravely disabled. If they don't fit that criteria, I can't force them to go, right? There's some people that are just suffering from depression or anxiety, panic attack, where I can't say like, okay, you're going. Like, I don't, I don't fit that criteria. I can't legally take them. So, I'm like hey here's this qr code scan this this will give you help that you need this will give you resources people to talk to so but that's been a huge effort for our city to be pushing out to make sure citizens have something but a big thing that we're trying to push now is what are we doing for our officers our officers are going through traumatic events every day i've seen therapy Um, i've had to go talk to people you have some things that really affect you but some critical incidents is talking about addiction. You get thrill junkies that they get okay. into a critical incident. They're like, that was so cool. I want to keep like vehicle pursuits are a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. Driving 120 miles per hour down the highways and back roads, fun all day. People are like, okay, I want that again. I want to keep doing that. And that led to an officer crashing because he got too excited. Too involved in the pursuit where he wasn't really being safe and he hit a part of a road that has a little bump in it and he lost control luckily no injuries now we get a real back and be like okay we're doing a lot for our citizens but what are we doing for our officers right like we have officers on call that if we are going through something like you can call them and say hey man i'm going through this but what resources do we have what outside you know things can we bring in to help our guys you know that are working every single day. My biggest thing was, uh, I had a four month old baby die in my arms. So That was like the biggest thing that like messed me up for a little bit, but you know, um, seeking therapy and talking to people really helped through
0: that. Well, I think the normalization of that, of like that proactive response really helps. Cause I think that's, I mean, I know specifically for my experience in the military, I gotta imagine it's the same for law enforcement. Like there's this fear of reprisal. Mm -hmm. If, if you're doing anything to like, we carry guns every day. And so the fact that like, Hey, I'm going to talk to somebody about my mental health. It's like, hold up. That's a red flag. Like, and so is there a, when did you start to see this kind of shift to where not only for the community, is it more of a proactive response, but like for the officers themselves and really taking care of people
3: in that way? Uh, So I really saw that in my new department when leaders were expressing their experience with mental health. Like when I was overseas, when I was recently deployed, I was going to behavioral health and talking and I was letting all my soldiers know. Yeah. It's like, oh, I gotta go talk to the therapist. I got behavioral health today. And you can see some of the other like active duty cats were like, oh, you yeah. just say that out loud. And I was like, yeah, you don't go like, this is stressful guys. That's so Middle awesome. East. Like we're, away, we're away from our families. Like this is stressful. I'm a company commander. And I'm not doing a good job, so I need to go talk to somebody about this because I feel like I'm a failure. And that encouraged soldiers to go and things like that. I hope it encouraged soldiers to go. Oh, I'm was, sure it did. I That's was telling some, like, hey, you need to go talk to somebody. My wife didn't. I was scared to tell her. Yeah. I was more than happy to tell everybody I was around, but I'm like... <laughs> Don't know how it's going to be on the home front. So like that was 2020, 2021. My wife just found out that I was seeing behavioral health overseas. Uh, like I just told her the other day, um, I, was, I finally just came out about it. But um, like people at like my department, I have sergeants and lieutenants telling me that they see therapists and they get, they go see behavioral health specialists, and stuff like that, because they want to, the only way it's going to be normalized is if you act like it's normal. Like mm-hmm. back at like back when I was going through high school stuff, like I, a kid would be like, "Oh, I have, I have a therapist appointment," and I'm like, "What's wrong with you? Yeah. How are you seeing a therapist?" But now it's like, if the more we expose it, the more we talk about it, the more we make it seem normal. Um, like I just had a kid a couple months ago that was suicidal, and she was like, "Well, something's wrong with me," and all this stuff. I'm like, "No, no, no. If you break your arm, what do you, where do you go? Doctor, hospital, okay." Your mind is just like a bone, just like a muscle. It can tear, it can break, and it can be healed. You just got to think of it that way. And that goes with addiction, right? Addiction is just, it's a mental illness, and it's hard. And you'll always be in recovery. You're never going to get over addiction. It's never over. Everybody's always in recovery. You never see someone that says, I'm recovered. No. No, everybody stays in recovery. But it takes maintenance just like exercise just like everything it takes work it takes time and it takes going to the hospital going to the doctor so having that normalization talking about it being open about it i think would really just help like you said normalize it i mean that's huge i can
0: my experience during this last deployment was almost the opposite like we had a couple suicide attempts in our unit Mm -hmm and it was not discussed there was never like it was just kind of like swept under like hey like we don't want this to reflect us like we don't want this to be a thing and it's like no like those are exactly when we need to talk about and have discussions and uh, be proactive with our response to what people's needs are and where those needs frankly aren't being met as being
1: a police officer in the military and stuff like that before all of these programs started or you knew about them do you feel like you received enough training to be able to handle these situations appropriately and you said you know people with mental illness are you know the top people to get treated with violence and stuff like that Mm -hmm. do you feel like you were trained well enough to prevent stuff like that um in the
3: beginning so i just actually had to talk about this with our social worker because I seem to be the only one like really passionate about this, right? And she was asking me, why is nobody else passionate about this? And I said, older officers believe this isn't a police issue. This would be a social worker issue, mental health issue. Like, police are here for crime, not mental health, not mental illness. We should be responding to this stuff. The younger guys feel they're not trained for it. They don't, they're like, I don't know how to respond. Like, we responded to one call and there was a, Guy in FTO, which is field training, which means like they're new, they have a veteran officer watching them and grading them, responded to a girl that had a dissociative identity disorder, or the slang term, derogatory term is split personality. And she was in full-blown crisis, going between four different personalities. I was there handling it, and the girl's mom was there. I was coaching her through it. And after we got done, got to the hospital, the rookie looks at me. as like, I would have no idea what to do with that. I would have no idea how to handle that. And officers won't, right? Like, what do you do when people are switching back and forth, right? Um, because, like, it was distinct. Like, her normal original personality was there. She's sad. She's asking for help. But as soon as she would say, I need help protector came out. Voice changed, body language changed, accent changed, everything. And she was like, Nope, I'm fine. Get out of here. And then third personality was a death stare. Like if you don't leave now. And I was like, Oh, she's in full blown crisis. Okay, let's see what's going on here. Um, And I was like, excited. I was like, let's figure this out. Let's figure out what we can do for you and all this stuff. And the rookie was just like, what is happening right now? Um, But I sought out that training. So NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Illness, puts on critical incident training, or CIT. They have advanced CIT. They have mental health first aid. They have juvenile mental health first aid. They have all these courses you can take to figure out how you respond to these type of incidents. And every time I get to a call and there's parents where they really don't know how to parent, kids with mental illness. NAMI, go to this website. There's resources, there's books, there's everything there to kind of help you through it. Uh, There's support groups. I was like, how do you parent a nonverbal kid with autism who can't tell you what they need, right? That's That's difficult. That's not, and then having to help them through all of it, but then having to like try to internally process the stress that you're going through as a parent with that. That's not easy at all. The training honestly is a little glossed over with mental health and mental illness response. And that's what causes the violence because officers do not know how to respond. That's why like at my department, we push critical incident training hard. So like you have a, it, it's not like a end all be all. You're an expert now it gives you brief exposure on like schizophrenia, bipolar, um, dissociative identity, stuff like that to where you understand what you're seeing and you can understand little signs uh, when you show up. Advanced CIT is when you really get in the, like, the deep weeds of like how to appropriately respond. For a lot of departments, it's up to those officers to reach out for that type of training because they're not getting it. And that's a big national push. You see it, our, our governor just signed a bill to get more mental health training for police officers and firefighters. Because even on the fire side, they're training their guys and, get, and women for mental health response. Because sometimes they call the fire department and not us for fear of force being used against them. Um, there's a big case out of Indy to where they tased an individual going through a mental health crisis and he ended up getting uh, getting put into uh, excited delirium and died. Um, excited delirium is a whole different monster to cover, but pretty much like your heart just goes until it stops. So that has happened on rare occasions. Some people say excited delirium is not a thing. Some say they do. There's a lot of research on both. For a lot of places across the States, it's up to the officer to reach out and try to find that training to get so they know how to respond.
2: We had a similar situation here in Seattle and it was a huge deal. He was a a homeless. I I don't want to I don't know too many details of it or about him and specifically, but he was like a wood carver, homeless on the street, and mm-hmm. you know he carved little trinkets and he would sell them. But he was like, to my understanding, he had some pretty severe mental health issues. He was talking to himself and he had the knife in his hand, and somebody called the police because they didn't know what was going on. But everyone in the area that was local like knew who he was, so it was never a big deal. He was never never a harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's- one or never a threat i guess and uh, the police showed up and you know they're screaming orders at him and he had the knife in his hand and he's confused and he's talking to himself and he's waving the knife around and they ended up shooting and killing him just because but i mean this is probably seven five seven years ago but i remember it was a huge deal because all the locals came out and they're like he was the nice he got issues but i mean like that the use of force was not necessary like i know that police officers are trained like there's a threat he had a knife you know, he came at them, whatever. But I, again, to your point, I highly doubt that those officers were trained to recognize mm-hmm. that he's just, he's not maybe necessarily a direct threat. He's just in his head, you know? Yeah.
3: There's a, have you seen the show, the rookie? Oh yeah. Um, oh. I don't like to reference. I don't, I don't like to reference TV shows too much. Mm-hmm. But some of it's a lot of just you're wrong. All of this mm-hmm. is wrong. But there's a great episode of an adult autistic male that Mm -hmm. was in a crisis and he had a knife and he was mad that he burnt the pancakes Mm -hmm. and the officers are all guns out put the knife down put the knife down but you see like them like start noticing the signs right like i think he's going through a mental health crisis and one was like do you know the trick about the bubbles you gotta flip it when the bubbles come out Mm -hmm. and i've been in like that exact situation not with pancakes or things like that but you start figuring out why they're mad and you start realizing, Oh, there might be a mental illness going on here. Or some types of behavior health. And let's try to address that real quick. And it calms them down. You figure out what the root of the problem is. And it has nothing to do with the knife or the weapon. He's just in a state of fight or flight at that moment. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to preface TV shows too much because a <laughs> lot of it's wrong, but yeah. that episode, that scene was perfect.
0: I think that there's a, theory that i i know like i've heard commanders talk about in the military that um or training ncos anybody that is in that kind of leadership role that's like you you hear stories and you want to be the hero but you'll never rise to the occasion you'll always fall back to your your level training training. yeah i mean you can relate this to anything with substance abuse and responding to somebody that's that's using that you need to use narcan or what have you, or or responding to somebody that's in a mental health crisis, or even like mm. a couple of years ago um, when there was when George Floyd, um, yep. when that happened, and there was a protest, and um, there was a police, or he's a the sheriff in Flint, Michigan. Um, everybody's responding to these riots, full riot gear, SWAT teams, everything, and then he like took off his vest, took off his uh, his name's Chris Swanson, like he. It got pretty popular, but he's just like, what do you guys, what do you, what do you want? What do you, what's the goal here? And instead of like responding with violence, he like tried to figure out exactly what you're talking about, like getting to the root of like, and these guys were like, we just want you to walk with us. You just, we just want you to be in solidarity with us. And like, he responded at the appropriate level. He walked with them. Like he showed this unity and this like compassion and caring that I think so often is not what law enforcement's known for like you won't like nobody they make the joke that nobody hates a firefighter like and so the kids always (laughs) want to grow up and be firefighters and then like it's good to see the shift is happening yeah that people are giving a shit
2: and to your point matt it is happening i would say nationwide uh we got the chance i got the chance to speak at the the uh, uh our city council meeting. And Dominic was there, but the police officers and the fire department were there, and they were talking. And they have a similar program where, um, you know, there's an officer, um, uh, mental health counselor. They go to these calls, like you were mentioning, Mm -hmm. and there, there's a big push on that program right now, especially not not just in the city that we live in, but the county. And like you said, with the levels of before, some if somebody's in a mental health crisis, they mentioned that. I don't know if it's at a county level or state level, but for lack of a better term, Washington state has a very, very high threshold for the police to take somebody against their will. So it's very hard for the police, somebody could be in a full blown crisis, but the threshold of the criteria is so high that they still can't help those people. And so that the the police want to work on, at least our local police have talked about that we need to lower that threshold so we can help people because right now you know, they, in theory, they could leave somebody in this huge crisis because they don't meet the criteria, and that person could then just do harm to themselves or others because mm-hmm. the police couldn't do anything about it. And so that's it's interesting to hear you talk about those things because that's exactly what I just heard last week at the town hall meeting was those exact same things at, at the local department and and what they're trying to do to mitigate these things and and uh, be proactive.
3: um they're speaking of Seattle, um, like I brought it up like before we started talking, but there's a documentary called Seattle is Dying, and the biggest thing is the homeless population in Seattle, and they did a study about the top 100 people that have been arrested the most out of anybody, and what's why are they arrested so many times? They did three categories. Are they homeless? Are they mentally ill? And do they suffer from addiction? All 100. All three. Mm-hmm. So it's, okay, so if we start with homelessness does that lead to then addiction and then excessive addiction does that lead to mental illness and then they were saying like we don't how, how does this lead how do we get here and they're trying to figure out like what is causing it right so is it like are they getting suffering from addiction first which is now mm-hmm. causing them to become homeless and then with that a mental illness comes in an addiction come like trying to figure that out so it was interesting to see like the tie-in between mental health and addiction at the same time and they actually started interviewing some of the people that suffer that live there and yeah they're mentally ill yeah they're in addiction but they even said the police have no power to do anything none they can't take him to the hospital um they're arresting them for petty stuff um, like one dude who was the number one guy that kept getting arrested they talked to him And like the one story you said, he was in a trash can and he was just talking to him, having a full blown interview. (laughs) He's like, yeah, they arrest me all the time for this, that, and the other thing. But, and he's like, I'm addicted to drugs. I'm mentally ill and, but they're not going to help me with any of that. They're just going to keep arresting me. And then in Orange County, California, I was going through my master's and one of the, uh, it was online, one of the classmates and I were talking. Uh, He's an Orange County sheriff in California and He's part of a mental health reaction team, and he said in their jail, they can hold like 16,500 people, 70% are mentally ill, which makes their jail the leading mental health uh, institution for the state. A jail should not be the per population highest mental health institution for your state at all. It shouldn't be. Not a jail. Um, But he said, like, they're still trying to figure out, like, how do we get there, right? But if they're in jail, we can get them hospital help and treatment while they're there. So we can do something. But, yeah, a jail should not have the most, the highest mental ill population in the state. Shouldn't have. At least you're trying to do something, right? But like you said, in Seattle, the police don't have the power to really do anything. And then they did a study about Rhode Island. For drug crimes in Rhode Island, 10% recidivism rate, next to zero recidivism in Rhode Island. And what they figured out was, I love how they started off. They said the first thing they do is enforce the law. That's beautiful to hear as a police officer, right? Once someone's arrested for a drug crime, they immediately are met up with a peer support specialist from this non-for-profit company they have that they're teamed up with. So as soon as they're locked up in prison, someone meets up with them, like day of. And they said, okay, what are you addicted to? All right, well, you get Suboxone, you get, uh, what's the uh, Suboxone, uh, Methadone, and there's a third one they can't remember. They said, pick one of the three, and that's your recovery. So they pick, right? And they start taking it while they're in prison. What What they figured out was, what's causing the recidivism? Well, they said, well, my doctor's over here, my therapist is over here, my pharmacy's over there, So, and they might not have a car, might not have transportation, like, how am I going to get to all these appointments, right? So this not-for-profit company, said, let's put everybody in the same house. So in one building is their doctor, their pharmacy, their therapist, their NA or AA groups, everything in one house, one-stop shop. So then when they get out of prison, they know where to go, who to go or who to go see, all this stuff. And they've had like like I said 10% recidivism rate. Everywhere else in the country is 50 plus yeah. for drug that, crimes.
0: That means rate that you're going to get rearrested. Yeah. Just Oh yeah, yeah sorry. But, yeah. Recidiv-
3: recidivism means the rate that the same person gets arrested again and again and again. So the country for drug crimes, it's 50% plus. Rhode yeah. Island's less than 10%. that's that's that's, insane
2: that's wild it's working i'll tell a quick quick story about seattle uh that i was down pike place market obviously is very well known and there was a homeless gentleman sleeping lengthwise across the sidewalk blocking the the Mm -hmm. sidewalk people were walking into the street around him and there was a couple police officers standing on the corner and I, i didn't say anything i was a little bit farther back but one of the guys is like, Hey, and then the cops look over and he like puts his hands down to this guy pointing at him sleeping on the sidewalk. And the cop looks back and he puts his hands up. He's like, call your mayor. And they just kept talking. They could yeah. do nothing. And this, this homeless guy was creating a safety hazard, if you will. Now, granted down there, the roads aren't really, I mean, the cars can drive on them, but they're really narrow and not a lot of trap traffic, but people were literally walking into the street to go around this guy sleeping, blocking the entire mm-hmm. sidewalk. Um, I've been down there recently, and they've turned the bus stops. I was actually just down there with uh, my girlfriend and my sons, and they turned the the physical bus stop. They hung tarps, and they're turning them into like mini apartments. And people are, you know, going to the bathroom right on like using trees to just go to the bathroom. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. And like you yep. said, Seattle's dying. That is a perfect example. Of, it's a perfect title for that because. When I was younger, growing up, going down to Seattle was awesome. And now I won't even take my kids there. Like I can't,
3: I just, it's not worth it. Yeah. The documentary is on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's free to watch. I think it's like an hour and some change long, mm-hmm. but it's huge perspective to what Seattle's going through. Yeah. I'm definitely going to watch that because I, I hadn't heard of that.
0: Yeah. I think that these are the changes the in the resources are awesome, but it's also like Another thing to see uh, police officers kind of going back to that community policing aspect of like being involved. I know mm-hmm. for our specific example, like there's one time like where our mom was, had been gone for a while and we had started looking for her, trying to figure out where she was. And my dad had been on the police department in the city that she was in. And so he still had some contacts and finally got in touch with this guy that was actually on the county. And he was like, Oh yeah. He's like, I know, I know your mom. I've seen her recently. And he's like, I'll go try to find her. And he's just I mean, he's like a sheriff's deputy and he just goes and he was looking, looking and he's like, Hey, I found her. She's all right. Um, I told her that you guys are looking for her. like, and that was it. That was what he could do. But like, that was yep. freaking awesome. And he like, I had his cell phone number and yeah, just the fact that he was willing to, to be that. And you can say like, that's, that's not my job. I'm here to fight crime, but like, At the end of the day reflecting back on the department like you want to be that community police officer that you know cares hearing you talk about uh your passion
1: for all this stuff and you know talking about seattle is dying uh there's a big stigma in in seattle you know our seattle police is the lowest you know it's been in forever no one wants to be a police officer because of this stigma And so hearing Mm -hmm. you talk about this and knowing that there are people out there, there are police officers out there that do care, you know, it it really, it helps just as, you know, a normal citizen. It really helps Mm -hmm. to know that people care. And even for people that could be going through it, if they ever hear this or, you know, even encounter a police officer that cares, it goes so far. Like with the community policing thing, like it's so important. And I'm just... Uh, Thank you. Uh, Honestly, like hearing this, it just helps me too.
0: I think that's that's something we talk about a lot, like the people not knowing their, the resources or not having access to the resources. Like this is a resource that like everybody has access to that, you know, the, the more that the the nation kind of focuses around uh, police officers having these resources and being trained and equipped, like, You know, Matt, you're saying like, you have this QR code, scan this, like, this Mm -hmm. has things, tools that will actually help you. And you're,
3: like you said, you're the one that's there on the street, like, firsthand. Yeah. And, uh, like, I even pitched about, like, having decals on our cars. Because, like, when I go to someone's house for whatever call, right, I have to park on the street and people are going to walk by my car and they could probably look over and be like, is that a QR code? What is that? And they're gonna walk up, scan it, and be like, "Oh, this is for mental health help. Oh, that's really cool." And it's just that little bit of exposure. Or if I'm at a stoplight and someone's behind me and they see that, they're like, "What is that?" And they just pull their phone real quick and scan it and figure out that, "Oh, it's free mental health assistance." Just any exposure like I can put out there for our people here is anything I can do. And like you go back to the community uh, policing part, like. I've given my work phone number out to people I've helped I said anything you need you call me I don't know if you saw my Facebook page or not the guy that posted that I met up with they said first time I've seen officer Madden since he saved my life I so this so. dude great guy um, we got called from the VA suicide hotline that hey someone called in they're not doing good we're trying to find him right now so I had to do a warrant for a cell phone ping to figure out his location um, we can't find him at where the phone's ping at because it said, yeah, it's in this location within 750 meters. Thanks. <laughs> so it's like a 750 meter circle and he's somewhere in there. Yeah, that's awesome. Appreciate you. Yeah. So we have his phone number. So I'm just texting him like crazy, blowing his phone up. And sure enough, he starts responding. So I'm like, okay, let's go. He's like, you can't help me. I'm like, you want to bet, dude? I will. I'm going to work until something happens. Get him on the phone, start talking to him on the phone. And then I'm like, I need to see you. I need to make sure you're okay. Meet me at this location. he was like, all right, I'll go there. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you you better show up. Because I'm going to hug the hell out of you. (laughs)
2: Like,
3: show up, bro. And sure enough, he shows up. And like, when I was on the phone with him, he said he had a gun to his head. And he was going to end it that night. And I'm like, not tonight, bro. Mm Mm-mm. We're, I'm like, I said, I'm hugging the hell out of you, bro. He shows up. I just grab him and just hug him. And my lieutenant was pissed. He was like, he said he had a gun. I go. Yeah. He's like, uh, you just hugged him. I go. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't care. Yeah. And he was like, that was dumb. I go, nope, because he's still here. He's still here. And he was struggling with a bad divorce. He was struggling with unemployment. Um, he said he had $5 to his name, um, and all this stuff. And I knew of a past soldier of mine who owned his own business, um, who could use some help. So I'm like, I, i ha- I'm going to get you a job. I'm going to get you an apartment. I'm going to make sure you're fed. So I called up uh, an old soldier of mine. I was like, Hey, uh, I got a dude that's going through some stuff and he needs a job. He's like, he'll start tomorrow. And then dude, that guy. Did the job. So my old soldier that took care of him paid his car note for the next two months, took him to Costco, got him two weeks of groceries. The guy who called in that night is like a bodybuilder, got him a free membership to a gym and got him an apartment and said, we'll take care of you. And like, dude, he went to town to save. And I just answered the phone call and just made sure he was good. But um, that was the biggest thing. He's like, no one's ever followed through. Like, no one's ever, like, stuck to their word. He's like, that's why I didn't believe you. And I was like, dude, when I tell you I'm going to go through something, I'm going to go through something. Like, I'm going to make sure it's seen through. But, like, sometimes it's just fate that I'm working that night. I'm another veteran. I understand what he's going through, you know, stuff like that. But the veteran community coming through to help him out was huge. He was an Air Force vet. He got out as an E-6. And... Uh, Just really got pretty low, man. But having officers that like truly care. And after that happened, a lot of guys who I worked with were like, oh, okay, we should probably take these calls a little more seriously. Like, yeah, man, especially like the VA treats some people. Oh, yeah. That's why you have guys just walking into the VA and ending it just in front of everybody because those guys are there for a paycheck, not because they truly care. Yeah. so and some of the veteran resources
0: like it's great the things that are pushed out there but like I've I've called a, I'm not gonna out them on here but like I've called mm-hmm. one of them and had like an hour-long conversation and they're like well you don't you don't qualify for you need something a little bit more long term you don't qualify yeah. for the the six free that we have I'm like that's a start like <laughs> yeah and uh,
3: so having
0: the actual community people following through I mean that's
3: yeah that speaks volumes when you see a passion for one, it spreads, right? Yeah. Like I have one of my coworkers is hot and heavy on getting drugs and guns off the street. That's like his favorite thing to do. Um, he, I don't know how he does it, but the dude just can see all these red flags, get cars and get drugs and guns. And I helped him on one, and seeing the amount of drugs and guns we got in the car, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." Okay, like I want, I want to start doing this too, like because that makes our city safer. Yeah. No. So that passion for it starts spreading to me. So it can happen with anything, no matter what it is. So with me, when I'm pushing this, pushing a lot of mental health, mental illness stuff, and especially with addiction, like, hey guys, like if we really show we care and like really put our hearts into this, man, we can really do some good work. And that spread through the shift, like especially like with the mental emotional calls that we get, Law officers are like mad and I'll take that. Uh, He's good at it. He'll go talk to him and all that stuff and do his verbal judo and all that stuff. And I'm like, guys, I'm going to take PTO sometimes. I got military stuff like you can't like I had one officer just give a family my phone number and just said, hey, so I'm like a get bad guys type of cop. I'm not like really help people type of cop. So if you want to call Madden, he'll help you with what you're going through. So I'm sitting in my patrol car and I get a phone call. They go, hey, uh, an officer gave me your number and said that you can help me and I was like yeah I can help you absolutely of um course. I just can't believe my buddy did that yeah. uh yeah because uh, he was working the east of the city I was on west side so I couldn't get all the way over there to help but uh yeah he just said call this guy because I- I'm a get the bad guys type cop I'm not really a help the people type cop Like I hate That's you bro. bro I really <laughs> do uh but like So I'm trying to educate my guys on what to do, what to say, things like that. Uh, Like I had to literally throw one rookie out of the room because this guy was going through addiction because of an injury. And they stopped giving him medication. So he started moving to heroin. And the guy goes, oh, man, I understand. Boy, if you don't. I was like, have you had an injury like this where you had to move to heroin? Have you had to do that before no then you don't understand what he's going through bro like do you go through addiction no okay then don't ever say those words again like no, no. if you want to build or if you want to discredit yourself be like oh yeah i understand no not at all so like trying to educate my guys on what to say what to do how to do it tone of voice is huge it's not what you say is how you say it all right. that stuff is speaks volumes
2: we had a. Uh what you were saying about passion spreads and um it's i it's weird because like this is something i've wanted to do we've talked about it a few different times before we actually decided to start the podcast but just in the short time that we've been doing this like it's all i can think about right the passion (laughs) for it is just like it you don't really you don't really know and and it the last guest if you will had we had on uh somebody i grew up with and one of the first comments he made on our in our episode was you know I've never talked about this before and that just like I was like yes you know like it wasn't that he was I wasn't like yes we're gonna get this juicy story it was like Mm -hmm. we you know he thought of us he heard what we were doing
3: and he felt safe sharing and that was freaking awesome it's probably therapeutic for him too to finally like just share it right Right? because that's another thing is when you keep a lot of stuff inside, man, it, it eats. Oh yeah. And it'll eat away who you are. It'll eat away who, like what you're about. It'll eat away relationships. It just, it eats and it's hungry. So when you finally just let it out, it feels so much better. You feel full, mm-hmm. you feel complete again. That's
1: yeah. That's, it's so important. Like, what you're doing. Uh, and Jordan was telling me that he was reading something that there wasn't even a program um, for mental illness and substance abuse and stuff like that in some city. I
0: don't... Yeah, it was a little bit further down south. It's one of the villes. I can't remember what town it is now, but they had a epidemic a couple of years ago where there was 40 people that got HIV in like a short span, um, because there was needle sharing and stuff going on and mm-hmm. they didn't have any adequate resources for it. So they were pulling from Indian and Louisville and like the state, they were trying yeah. to come up with a response because it was like, they weren't prepared. They didn't have anything set up for this, mm-hmm. so, like a new problem. That's
1: yeah. Like, that's why I'm just so glad to hear you talk about this stuff because Addressing it before it happens, I feel like it's just so important, you know, getting the education, getting the training, getting all these things will help so many people in the long run. And it's like, hopefully one day in maybe a perfect world, we'll have all cops that can, you know, help people instead of just catch the bad guys, cops, you know, Um, and that's, you know, some promoting that. I, I just feel like it's just such an important thing and just us doing this and, you know talking through it and encouraging people to talk through it. It's, it's just going to make such a big difference. So
3: I, yeah, I just, I'm just happy about it. I love that you guys are doing this podcast. I love that you're doing this and really just getting more exposure out there, uh, to this issue, because like you said, like departments being proactive about it mm-hmm. is not a thing. A lot of departments aren't doing something until something happens and that's not the answer the the linwood cops well the police officers around us
2: they were talking about how and i and i don't know specific laws so i don't want to speak out of turn especially in Mm -hmm. indiana they mentioned that right now simple i think she called it simple possession you can't be arrested for simple possession at washington state like you could have almost any drug and you can't be arrested for it if it's they decriminalize everything yeah so but august 1st they were that is being reversed so on august 1st you can now be arrested again for simple possession i think is what she her wording was um she said that she thinks that's going to help a lot because that's going to help a lot with the the issues that we're having in this area with people like you could drive down a suburban neighborhood and you might see a homeless dude with a needle in his arm sitting on the sidewalk and i think that's kind of where she was going with that side of it is like that simple possession being able to to at least arrest those people and get them off the street um, will help mm-hmm. with those issues. Um, and back to your point earlier with uh, the homelessness, mental health and addiction, Dominic, you were there and I don't remember who exactly said it, but she said it perfectly. She said addiction and mental health are a symptom of homelessness and that if we can address homelessness, then the other two will follow suit. And I thought that was perfectly stated. Now there might be the person who got addicted and that caught, that caused them to lose their home. But in most situations, you know, she was saying most situations that, that those other twos are just symptoms of homelessness and that's the, that's the issue we need to address first.
1: I mean, so many people are one paycheck away of being, to being homeless, you know, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it's like, it, 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 we talked to, you know, other guests and it, it can happen to anyone you know, it can happen to anyone and it can happen so fast and they can happen without you even knowing it. And it's just, it's just crazy. Like it really is crazy.
3: Like when I was working in Indianapolis, we got called to a person down and it was like in some parking lot and I walk up and dude's overdosing. Um, we Narcaned him, got him back. And, uh, he kept saying how he was a D one goalie or something. I'm like, yeah, okay, buddy. I Google his name. He was a D1 goalie for uh, one of our Baker universities here in Indiana, full-ride scholarship, and he got a back injury. And the hospital stopped giving him medication for the pain. He moved on to opiates and moved on to heroin, and uh, it that's where he was. He's now homeless and full-blown addiction because he had nothing for the pain. And it's crazy to see someone that came from a very well-off city in Indiana, went to a very nice university on a full ride scholarship to now he's mm-hmm. homeless, drug addicted, and all it took was one injury. That's
2: mm-hmm.
3: so all it took one. So That's wild. like you like you said, it just takes one thing. Um, like you said, like especially with the economy right now, with the housing market and everything like that you get hurt at work you miss one paycheck that you're expecting or something and you can't pay rent or something like that and it changes everything you have anything you want
0: to add for our listeners um or, or just like any final parting thoughts or books to recommend you know just
3: if you could share one thing with somebody who's struggling what would it be for books if there's any police or military listeners um emotional survival for law enforcement uh, by Gil Martin, that book has changed my life and other officers' lives. It's it says emotional support for emotional support for law enforcement, but it goes hand in hand with military and the stuff that we go through. But there's also a lot of good stuff in there for just a normal person too, for just trauma response, coping, things like that. Um, so that's a book I highly recommend. But for final thoughts, it's be comfortable being uncomfortable. Because a lot of discussions you have to have with people going through addiction going through mental health issues going through mental health crisis you have to ask really hard questions questions that are not easy to come out or hear an answer to and like asking are you suicidal are you going to kill yourself what is your plan like that's not normal questions that we ask people like and then also knowing the signs Like my little brother, AJ, he gave every red flag away that he was going to commit suicide. And I didn't catch any of it because I never studied it before until I lost him. Um, But then looking back, I'm like, he was giving stuff away. He was ending relationships like he was setting everything up to do it. And I never noticed because I didn't know. So there is uh, I forget the city. It's a scale, but it's what people go through when they're about to commit suicide. Um, I would learn that. But then also, just like I said, be comfortable with the uncomfortable. You're going to ask, hey, are you taking narcotics? Are you, do you feel like you're an addiction? Do you feel like you? this is controlling you? And just having those conversations, but knowing how to talk to them too and not having that judgmental. Are you on drugs? Are you... Are you addicted right now? Like that's going to just make them retreat and relapse and everything. And biggest thing for anybody going through addiction is support and having that strong support system, knowing that, you know, if they fall, there's a net and they have a support system there to catch them and push them back up. When drug addicts stay together, it becomes crab theory. Do you guys know crab theory? Yeah i don't but so crab theory is if you take a Sorry. bucket of crabs
2: mm-hmm.
3: and i'll put them in there when one starts making its way out they'll all pull him back down mm. because it's we all get out or nobody gets out and that kind of happens when someone starts doing better the people they were doing drugs with or rolling with they're like no dude you need to come back to us you don't need to go be doing that so is when they have that support system to know that if they do relapse or if they do fall the supports is there to catch them and keep them up and not bring them back down. So being comfortable with that uncomfortableness of doing that and having to be in those type of situations is huge. If you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction, please
1: reach out to the national substance abuse hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help. And remember, you're not alone.